Well, tonight I want to talk to you about the concept of making decisions. But before I get there, I want to set up this series and where we're going to go over the next eight weeks. We're calling this series Storytellers, and hopefully by now you've seen some of the, maybe the video that's on Facebook, or we're here when we announced it in church, or maybe read something in Wired. And it's piqued your interest, because it's exciting to hear what God is doing in people's lives, especially people that we know, not just somebody on a TV show somewhere, but somebody in this congregation or in our neighborhood or our community. God is actually doing stuff in their lives, and and we want to hear about that. So for the next eight weeks, we're going to have a basic format that will follow what, what we're doing tonight, sing some praise songs, read God's word, hear something from his truth, from his word, hear something from a person's story, and that might be a live testimony like tonight, it might be a video that's been edited down, it might be uh, someone reading another person's account or several accounts of things that God has done in their life. We'll change it from week to week, but it'll be one of those three things typically. And we'll have Holy Communion and prayer as a response. Um, What's important in this is to see that our stories fit under the bigger his story. History is just his story. God's story is the big narrative, and our little stories have to fit into there. We don't run separate from his. We need to see how, how what he is doing and what is happening in our life, how it, how it links together, how it's all part of one big story of what God is doing. And so we're going to look at who God is and what he has done, and then we're going to look specifically at what he's done in a person's life in a unique instance. And these testimonies aren't necessarily, not necessarily like the testimony of how a person became a Christian, although those are important stories. But if that's the only story you have of God, maybe you're not paying attention to what he's been doing in your life. So we'll hear stories of God interacting in a believer's life or a healing. We'll hear a story of someone who died and came back to life on the operating table. We'll hear a story of um, God intervening in a direction in a person's life and redirecting. We'll hear different types of stories, uh, a miraculous healing and a recovery that wasn't expected, these kind of things. And my hope is that it will inspire you, that it will inspire you to seek the Lord in, in obedience, that you will seek the Lord for what he would have happen in your own life. These are powerful things to consider. Um, now, there is a, a danger. There's two dangers. There's a, like an equal and opposite danger, let's say. On the one hand, the danger, if, if you hear a story like some of these, is to think, well, I need a miracle to be legitimate. I need a story of like, I was dead and God physically brought me back to life, or my car flipped and rolled 25 times and I flew, you know, like these massive stories. And then, but I I walked away unharmed. Like we feel sometimes like we need a story like that to be legitimate. And and you don't, you don't. Because remember, his story is the important one. And everyone has little instances, some bigger than others, but his story is the one that matters. So I don't want you to feel like I have to have some radical story like that. But the other side, the other error is to think God doesn't intervene. He he does not. He is transcendent. He is beyond the creation. He made everything. He put it in place and he like, he wound it up as they say, like the watchmaker and he's letting it run out. And when the time runs out, then he'll come back. He is transcendent. He is outside of his creation, but he's also imminent. He is present right here in this room, right with us right now. And so because of who he is, he moves, he does things, he is sovereign and in control of all the events of history. And we need to keep that in mind as well. So we need to look for his hand, but we also need to not think, I need a miraculous story or else somehow I don't matter to God. So those are the two dangers in a a thing like testimonies. 
Now tonight I want to look specifically at the concept of ordinary guidance and supernatural surprises. One of the questions that people struggle with that I found in the church is, how do I make a decision? Or maybe put it a little higher up, the next level up is, what is God's will for my life? Have you ever asked either one of those questions? What should I do in this circumstance? What's the right choice? As if there's only one right choice and there's a whole bunch of wrong ones and you've got to figure out this is the right one. God, tell me what the right one is. Every one of us knows what that's like because we've been in that moment and God didn't tell you. And you think, oh, maybe I made the wrong choice. So I want to address that issue. And, and what is God's will for my life is the bigger one. Like, what, what, what should I do in this choice that I have and what is God's will for my life? Those two things. Now, ordinary guidance. From that passage that we just read in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the passage that I have boldly underlined, and I actually boxed it out in that section, is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So people run around worried about all kinds of things. What should I do? What should I wear? What should I eat? Is there going to be enough? And get anxious about these things. And what Jesus says is don't do that. You don't have to do that. God is in control. You're in his hand, and it will end well for you. It will end well for you. We know where history ends. We already have been blessed to have the end of the story. You are more than a conqueror is what the scriptures tell us. Now, what specifically to wear? What shall we eat? He, He says the Gentiles run after all this, meaning those who are not God's people. Run after all these things. Don't be like them. God knows you need these things. He knows you need food. He knows you need clothing. What he does not want is his people to be anxious all the time, running and scurrying about and all worked up. Anxiety cannot add a single hour to the span of your life. And we know it can also detract from your life. It can reduce the span of your life. He says, don't do that. And he tells you right here what his will is. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added. So that tells us, what is God's will for my life? Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We already know. It's not a mystery. I think there's been some damage done in, um, maybe it's from the the Christian greeting card uh, production or on Facebook or in even some daily devotionals where a certain passage has been lifted out of the prophet Jeremiah and has been taken out of its context and applied to you. For I, and I'll tell you, you, you know this verse. For I know the plans I have for you. You could probably complete the passage, right? And what that does is it makes us think, God has a secret plan for my life. And it's a secret plan, and I've got to go figure out what it is. I've got to somehow, like a rat and caught in a maze, and there's one path through to get out the other side, and I've got to figure out what that will is. For I know the plans I have for you, God says. Now, in the context of Jeremiah, he's writing to a people who've been punished for disobedience and exiled, and he's saying, I have a plan to prosper you, and I will bring you back into the physical land, and I will be with you again. I have not cut you off from the face of the earth. It was a historically bound moment when God said that. Now, he does have a plan for each one of us in terms of the big picture. And if you are a Christian, you know what the plan is. You get to spend eternity with him, and it begins now or whenever you started walking with him. That's his plan for you. More specifically, his plan for you is to become like Christ, to have Christ formed in you. So seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So becoming righteous like Christ. Now, you've got to go a little deeper into theology to understand that righteousness of God. There's two parts to it or two aspects of it. 
One is the righteousness you receive when you become a Christian. Scholars call it imputed righteousness. So Jesus dies on the cross and, and he takes your sin upon him so that you can receive his righteousness. And it, Paul puts it this way, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you are credited with righteousness because you trusted in Christ. The other kind of righteousness, though, is when you actually start to become like him in your character, your moral development. God is completing something in you, and he's going to work this out in your life so that you become like Jesus. So you begin to do the things he would do. You begin to pray like he prayed. You begin to serve others. Now, we know the greatest commandments, and the entire Bible is summed up in this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know these two commandments, and the entire scripture is summed up in that. Furthermore, we have things like the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're wondering, what is God's will for this situation? If you're breaking the moral law, you know you're not in God's will. Hmm, should I steal from the church when no one is looking? You don't have to ask that question. Should I cheat on my taxes? Should I fornicate, to use a big word? Should I? I mean, you can fill in all the different things. You know the answer to those things. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. God's moral will is kind of like, imagine a big area, and as long as you're inside that moral will, you have unbelievable freedom in Christ. And that scares most people. The career that you've chosen, you actually chose it. You chose it. You could have chosen a different one. You were not fatally put into that one. Now, there are things and circumstances, and remember, God is sovereign, and that's where this mystery comes in, but you have real freedom, and he would be happy for you to choose a number of careers in most cases. There are a number of opportunities. If you think, how does this advance God's kingdom and help his righteousness come about, and I'm not breaking his moral law in some way, well, then go for it, and go for it boldly, and pray, and pursue, and see what happens. You can have the freedom to actually bring about things in his kingdom. Of course, you can pray for his help in those things and say, God, I'd really like to see this happen. I think this is in keeping with your will. This will advance your kingdom. Oh, I really want that to happen. I prayed for five years for that barn back there and others with me. Many of us as a church were praying for that. That was freedom that God gave us within his will. It didn't have to be back there. It wasn't like God said, I'm going to put a barn there, and he said it a billion years ago, and, and, and we just like tripped into it. That actually took effort and work, and people made sacrifice, and we prayed hard, and we worked hard, and we collected the funds, and we got the contractor, and we built the thing, and like that was freedom that we had within God's moral boundaries. It doesn't have to be there, but we prayed for it and worked for it to happen. So we have freedom to do a number of things. So I wonder tonight what you're, what you're wondering about. What question do you have? Are you wrestling with, what am I supposed to do with my life? Are you wrestling with a potential actual, um, you're at a crossroads. You have to make a decision about something. And you're wondering, what should I do? And you're waiting for God to give you a sign. Oh, I need a sign. God, would you just give me a sign? And you just kind of are standing at the crossroads waiting. And sometimes you can go either way, and he would be happy with it. So there's freedom for us. And he invites us to be bold for his kingdom. Now, this is where I want to leave room for mystery. He is sovereign, and there are times when he steps in and absolutely says, nope, 
you're not going to go there. It's not going to happen. Or you're not even thinking about something, and he goes, what about this over here? If you look at how the book of Acts works, you see that primarily in Paul's ministry. Paul very reasonably said, well, I'd really like to go to this city, and then I'm going to stay there for so long, and then I'm going to go to this city, and eventually I want to get to Rome. That's where I want to get, because strategically it made sense. If all roads lead to Rome, if Paul can take the gospel there, then presumably all the people who travel through Rome will be exposed to this message. That's a good plan. But then every once in a while, he said, the Holy Spirit restrained me from going so-and-so, or I was planning to go there, and I had this vision of a man from Macedonia, and I knew God was telling me, go over to this place. He didn't expect those things to happen. He went on his plan, but when they did happen, he paid attention to them. So he went, oh, this is an aberration. God is saying, I've heard your plan, but I want you to do this one over here. And he stepped in and did a course correction. And what we sometimes do is we think, I want God to do that on every single moment. I want him to do that for every single decision. And, and what that does is that makes you a robot or a puppet. And see, free will really matters to God because he wants you and I to learn to know him and who he is so that we can choose the decisions that we know would please him and he doesn't have to tell us. It's like there are no puppet strings. Out of love for him and knowledge of him and as we pursue him, we start to think, I think this would really bless the Lord. I would like to do that. I think... God, I think this is what you would like. And then we work for it. So before we go to testimony, I, I want to um, just lay out a couple, three things, three simple things. Aside from the moral law, we know we don't want to break what God explicitly says not to do. But we also know that God is sovereignly upholding the entire universe behind the scenes so that he is directing our affairs to his ends. And sometimes that means the course goes way out like this, and then it comes back, and he's here, and he wants it to end here, but it looks very weird how it's going to get there. But we know this, that he is in control. His kingdom is never in trouble. He is in charge of things. He's not ever surprised by anything. We know that about God. Then Hebrews 1 says that in, the, in previous days, long ago, God spoke to us through prophets, but in these days, he's spoken to us through his Son. That is the primary way that God has spoken to us. So tonight, like every night on these Wednesdays, we're going to come to his table. And regardless of the decisions we've made or are about to make or where we've been, we remember that God has spoken to us through his son. That's how we know how the story ends. Death couldn't hold him down, and we take comfort from knowing Jesus is alive. He's defeated sin and death, and eventually he's going to defeat and put away all of sin from our presence, and it will be glorious. So we don't have to be anxious. So that's important to remember, that victory is sure. And then third, he reserves the right, he reserves the right to intervene and redirect. Now at that point, I want to ask Dan to come up here, and for this first night, Dan and I are going to tell you a story of God redirecting. And I'm going to share an email with you, and um, I'm going to let Dan start the story first. So, Good evening. So this story starts um, where all good stories start in middle school. Um, <laughs> when I was in middle school, I uh, had a youth minister, and it was this guy sitting next to me, uh, Mike McDonald, and he was the first person who introduced me to a living, breathing relationship with Jesus, and it was awesome. He introduced me to Jesus and had a great experience under his ministry. He left, 
and uh, took another job elsewhere. And I, but the, the seed that he planted continued to grow. I continued to grow in the faith. Ten years later, I, I didn't, didn't see Mike for ten years. Ten years later, I'm a youth minister. I'm 25 at the time, and I'm a youth minister in a church in Columbia. And I went to um, a conference, our church's uh, our big denominational conference. And I was sitting, uh, sitting in the service that was happening, and they were doing the big processional. And there was all these priests walking down. And I saw this guy, and I was like, man, that looks exactly like Mike McDonald. <laughs> Except he, that guy looks a little bit older than Mike oh, McDonald. <laughs> yeah, he had a little, you know, salt in the pepper. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, but I was like, that's got to be him. So I went up and talked to him. I was like, hey, are you Mike McDonald? And he's like, hey, are you Dan Wolf? And we were like, yeah. Um, and we caught up. We had lunch together and just really connected and had this great, you know, great time just chatting and catching up. And we were like, let's stay in touch. And so we didn't. Um, like guys <laughs> generally do, we didn't stay in touch at all. And so fast forward um, three more years. No, so wait, for the record, one of us did try to stay in touch. I, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> um, so three years later, um, I was, had started seminary. I felt called to go to seminary. Um, thought God might be calling me to ministry, full-time ministry, and, and to, um, to possibly be ordained. And so I was wrestling with that call. I started seminary not knowing if I was supposed to become a priest or not. And um, basically what was happening is we were, I was doing seminary almost full-time while working full-time. It was a very stressful time of life, uh, working, doing ministry and seminary. So all of you guys should be praying for Chris Breton, who's doing that right now. Um, But my wife was finishing up nursing school. And so what we decided is I was two years into seminary and I had one year left. But what we thought was, okay, in order to kind of really figure out, are we called to this? I'm going to go to, we're going to move to Boston and go to the main campus of the seminary. And she'll graduate and hopefully get a job as a nurse and I'll finish in one year and then figure out, am I supposed to, you know, go through the ordination process? So that was the plan. But also we were a little freaked out by that plan because she was a new nurse and it's difficult for new nurses to get jobs sometimes. Um, Secondly, it's Boston, which there's a bunch of great schools up there, and so it's a competitive environment, and I wasn't going to be working. So I wasn't going to be bringing in any salary. I was going to be going to school full-time. And so we're, we're, we're kind of praying and seeking God and seeking his kingdom and saying, okay, God, we think that you want us to do this, but we don't know how you're going to provide for us financially. Hopefully she gets a job. We hope we don't have to go into debt with the seminary fees, all this kind of stuff. And so we're kind of praying through this, but we let our church know at the time, hey, we're going to be leaving at the end of the year, uh, at the end of the school year. And so um, we've put in our application to the seminary housing, put in our application to the seminary to go full-time up there. And then something very unexpected happened. I got an email, but it was just an email from a, a family at our church and it was weird, though. This was one of those emails that, does anybody still use Hotmail? Hotmail users? If, you know any, if you're a Hotmail user, you know this. You get a lot of junk mail. Um, and so what I, I was going through my junk mail, and I found this email that looked like it wasn't from somebody because it had, like, interlink or something like that. And I checked it, and it was a family at, in Columbia who was emailing me about, through, to explain this, 
through the church's website. So they hadn't emailed my Hotmail. They had emailed through the church's website that went to my Hotmail. And so it went into my junk mail. And I was like, I wonder if anybody else has tried to email me through my church's website. And so I went back and searched. And lo and behold, like three and a half years ago, Mike had emailed me. (laughs) And so I'm like, hey, he's not a jerk. Um, (laughs) But I was like, well, do I just kind of blow it off and just say like, but I I wrote him back. I wrote back a quick email and was like, hey, Mike, and I think we actually have the email. Do you have the email, Sam? It's up on the screen and here's a printout. Do you want to, do you want to, you want to read what you sent to me? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So this is the email. Um, This is February of 2014. Um, so I just stumbled across an email that you sent three or four years ago <laughs> after we talked at the MIA conference. For some reason, because it was sent through our church's website, I didn't get it. So sorry about that <laughs> understatement. Um, it was great to read, read your email. Um, thanks for getting in touch. Are you still down in Florida? Yada, yada, yada. And so that, I, sent, I sent that email off. And then I'm going to hand the story over to Mike for a few minutes, and then I'll take it back. Go for it. I did reply after the conference and sent that email and then promptly forgot that I had done it and got busy again and and all that time went by. In February, Tripp had been talking with a church in Texas and, you know, Tripp was doing our music, he was doing our communications and website stuff and he was our associate priest. And he had been forthright in the whole thing and he, he told me he was wrestling with whether or not to do it and he was thinking about whether or not it'd be good and honestly I thought after he interviewed down there and told me how it went, I thought, he's not, he's not really interested in that church. So when he came in and he said, yeah, I just want to follow back up on that church, uh, Rachel and I decided we're going to go. I, I was shocked. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. I did not think he was going to do it. And I went back into my office, scratching my head going, God, okay, um, okay, what do you want to do here? <laughs> and was, I mean, the amount of time that went by from when he said that to when that email came into my inbox instantly got my attention. So I called him, I replied, I got right back to him and said, what's going on? Wait, where are you? You're going to Boston. Why? And it was, it was just perfect timing. And every once in a while, God will do that. And if, if you don't think he has control of details, he can work through Hotmail and a church server and, and work out his timing for a three and a half year or whatever it was delay because the timing was now right and it made perfect sense. And there's hospitals here and Carrie's graduating. She can be a nurse. Gordon Conwell has a branch campus down here in Jacksonville. The timing was perfect for it. And so we went, okay, this, this one looks like a no-brainer. Let's just pray it out and talk it out and see what happens. And I created a job on the spot. I called it a pastoral internship. And, and I sent him um, this email and, and he, he replied. And, and, you know, we're living history now as to what happened with that. But I'm going to go back to you and, and yeah, so, so what happened? So what basically you learn? What, what I learned was um, that sometimes God does intervene. That we, we make our plans, and God wants us to be thinking and seeking his kingdom and making our plans. But then sometimes God kind of just diverts us and, and directs our steps in a whole different direction that we couldn't imagine. And so first off, just be open to the fact that God isn't just up there distant, but that he is actively involved guiding your steps. And the second thing, um, which the, the passage we read just really drove this home for me, is that... that what I learned looking back on it is that God really does know our needs. And he really does know our fears and our anxieties. 
And so if you're walking into tonight just burdened by something, hear this. God knows that. He loves you. If he cares and he feeds the birds, how much more does he value you? And so that's what we learned through that experience is that God knew our fears. He knew what we needed. And he met it in a very unexpected way. So I just encourage you tonight. You're all living stories right now. And God knows and he's directing your steps. So seek first the kingdom. I promise he will provide a way for you. Amen. We wanted to start tonight off with a somewhat simple testimony and not go with um, something that was life-shattering, but it was a 180-degree turn from a man in South Carolina headed to Boston to land in Jacksonville, and, and the Lord can do that. He does small detail. He does big detail. But in light of God's story, I want you to take comfort that you already, in Christ, are provided for. So we're going to turn to the Lord's table now. and.